Good morning. If you're new here this morning, we want to welcome you. We're grateful that you're here this morning. We're thankful to see you here this morning. We, um, we, we recognize the reality that Sheridan has a, a number of, of great churches, churches that we're very much uh, partnered with. Uh, we, we love the pastors. We love the congregations of, of many of the churches here in town. But we're glad that you came and chose to worship with us this morning. And maybe you did that online this morning for the first time. We want to just welcome you as well. Um, and so if you're looking for a church home, we certainly hope that you might find one here. So we have been uh, going through a, a sermon series on the, the concept of community, the concept of church, and what does church really look like? And, and we've talked a lot about how church, right, it, it's not a building, it's not a destination, it's not a sermon, it's not a pastor, it's not the staff, it's the people. That, that you didn't come to church here this morning, you actually brought church with you this morning. And, and the church now has gathered in this building together to corporately worship a... Our primary focus, our primary job as we come together on Sundays is to, is to worship, to give glory and honor to this great God that we, we serve. And then from there, we also bring, individually, we bring giftings and we bring talents and, and we, we, we kind of lump that into a big pool and the, and, and the Bible describes that as being a body and that that body has many members or many parts. And so everybody within this body has a role to play within this body. And, we, and if, if we're not really coming together under those terms and bringing what giftings we have and, and offering them up to the church, then the church really isn't moving in the capacity and in the fullness that, that Christ really intended for the church to move in. It's imperative that the church is, is all about tearing down the walls between churches as well. We've We've done a good job over the years of building walls between the churches, and I think one of the really neat things in Sheridan is that we have a really strong pastoral um, uh, meeting. We have a pastoral group that's really solid and strong, and those, those things start to break down things that inhibit the church, things like competition. We shouldn't be in competition with the other churches. We should just recognize that there's a reality of a role that God has given this church and that church and that church and that church within the community of Sheridan. And we should be pulling for each other, praying for one another, and hopeful that one another is fulfilling the role that God is individually calling them all to. And when we do that, then we start to get in this bigger picture of church, right? That church isn't just Sheridan. It's not just the rock. It's a global entity, right? That, that, that church ultimately is all of God's people who, who, who meet in his name, to, that, that get together for his name and his purpose all around the whole world. So the church, then we've talked about what a beautiful mess the church is, how hard church is, right? That the church is relational, and so sometimes we get under each other's skin, and so there's, there's just a real call for us to grow, you know, that God has, has assembled this very diverse group of people and, and unified us at the cross, but, but there's also a growth process that's happening with us, and we're all learning from one another, and we're kind of getting some of those rough edges, hopefully, off of one another and, and all of that. And, and, and so, so church um, is this interesting thing. So we've talked about that. We talked about what it looked like to live in that community, that this is a community that's supposed to be about healing, a, a community that's supposed to be about our spiritual growth. And then it's a community also that exists within this community so that we go out the doors and we affect change into the world around us. We're going out into Sheridan, right? And, and we're doing that both corporately as a church body and then also individually to where, whoever we are, wherever we're going, that we have this message and this message is 
the message that Christ gave us. It's the gospel, right? And we've been given this great commission to go, right? So as we're going, we're, we're making disciples, we're doing these things, we're mindful of what God has. So today is our final thing in this series, and it's about the continuity of community or the reality that what we're doing today is going to extend into eternity. That what we're doing here isn't just for here, that it's going to have ramifications and it's going to have, it's going to continue on. And, and so the big question that I have for you is, do you look forward to heaven? Have you ever thought about that? Do you look forward to heaven? Now, I think if we got real, for some reason, my clicker isn't clicking. If there's somebody up there who could click, yeah, great. Thank you. If we get real, I think sometimes we think about heaven, we kind of are like, yeah, you know, I know, I, yeah, of course I want to go to heaven. I'm a Christian. I'm just, yeah, of course, I'm supposed to want to go to heaven, right? And I, want to, I know I'm supposed to want to be with Jesus and things like that. But, 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 there's this, but then there's this thing that says, ah, oh, you know, but I, I don't want to go win. You know, maybe I get some of these things cleared off of my bucket list. I want to get this done, this done, this done. I want to see this happen, this happen, this happen. And then, okay, maybe I'll be ready to go to heaven, right? that really begins to inhibit the message that we have. You see, because there's nothing that is comparable in this world here to what we'll experience when we do make it into heaven. But there's a lot of factors about heaven and the way that we think about heaven that begin to kind of have an effect on us. And it's not always a positive effect. You know, we, we think about this, these kinds of imagery when we think about heaven, right? There's a stairway to heaven, right? And and, and, and blue skies and doves and clouds, um, click. <laughs> we kind of get these kind of images of, of sitting around somehow on a, on a cloud strumming a harp in some kind of an eternal church service, right? And so for us who are look, checking your watch, right, on, on, on a Sunday, we're like, man, this will go on forever? Really? Right? And, and it's... it's, it's the problem with that is that it begin, we begin to start to think about heaven in terms that are incomprehensible to us, and they don't make sense, and they really are in contradiction to the way that God created us to be. You see, God didn't create us to be disembodied spirits that are flitting around in some foreign place that's just out there. We're kind of like Casper the ghost or something like that. That is not the biblical view of heaven. And, and so... Um, we aren't going to be little chubby cherub, cherubs sitting on a cloud, strumming a harp forever. You know, if you are able to, to speak into the, the, the womb and speak to an unborn child, think about this, and you said, hey, why don't you come on out here? You, you can't believe what it's going to be like once you get out here. And then if you could hear back what they would have to say, that would probably be something like, oh, no, I'm good. I'm good. No, I'm good, actually. It's perfect. I mean, I, I hang out here. It's the perfect temperature. Right? I've got everything that I need here. It's all good. I, I, I swim a few laps a day. I kick mom a few times, and I get everything I need. It's all good. No thanks. And you're like, no, really, really, really. Come here. You, you can't believe what you're going to experience. You can't believe how, how, how magnified all of the senses are going to be and what life is going to look like and what you're going to get to experience and the things you're going to get to do, you know? Just be like, no thanks, I'm good. See, but then the birth process becomes this thing where we get pushed out into the world around us. The death process is much the same kind of a thing. Is that where we sit in this world 
in what we believe to be perfect comfort and, okay, I'm good and I'll, I'll just go win. Honestly, death is this equalizer. It's this thing that forces us through this world and into the realm to come. It really pushes us into what's really eternal and ultimately what's true reality in our lives. And, and so, um, but what we believe about heaven shapes the way that we live here. There are a lot of unbiblical ideas that have crept into Christianity and, and philosophies and things like that that we've kind of fallen to and we, we can be prone to and we could have real misunderstandings of that. Um, there, there are ancient philosophers who have thrown things, people like Aristotle and Plato. And Aristotle had the idea that the soul and the body were so intertwined that it was impossible for the soul to exist apart from the body. And so he was kind of like a nihilism kind of a guy, just that that was it. Once you died, that was it. And, and then there would just be a new soul that was created to go into a new body. Plato had more of a reincarnation kind of a thing, but Plato had the view that, that, the, that the flesh was just evil and that really what it was all about was about your soul escaping this evil flesh and, and just being set free from it and, and that the body was really kind of something more in tune to like a, a shell on a hermit crab or something like that. And the goal was to shed that and to be free as a, as a soul and a spirit. And that has really bled into a lot of like new age kind of belief and, and religion and things like that. It's also, uh, it ended up into a thing called Gnosticism that was really prevalent, always prevalent within the Bible. Um, we see epistles, letters written against it, First John, these kinds of things. Um, he's dealing with the idea of Gnosticism within the church, and Gnosticism, Gnosis meant a special knowledge. It means that, we were, that people were uh, finding and, and looking for this special knowledge that would, would set them free from the corruption of their flesh. And so the flesh then was treated one of two ways to a Gnostic. It was you either just indulged the flesh and you just went for it. You just did whatever because it didn't really matter because that wasn't ultimately really who you were. What, what you really were was the soul that was perfect and pure and all of this stuff. Um, or, you, or you denied the flesh and you kind of entered into a place of kind of flagellation and self, uh, just you, you, you denied yourself everything of the flesh. So Gnosticism, reincarnation, transmigration of the soul, all of these kinds of things are very unbiblical um, ideas of what it's looking like after we leave here. Um, and when we start to think unbiblically about heaven and what that's about, then again, we're, we're trying to deal with heaven on these terms that, that just don't make any sense to us. And the reason they don't make any sense to us is because we weren't made to exist like that. As a matter of fact, click, Genesis 2.7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man, of the, the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living creature. He became a nefesh, a living soul. He became a human being kind of a thing. And, and, and see, what we see is that God first created a body, and then he breathed life and a spirit and a soul into this body. You see, the, 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 we were never created to live disembodied from the flesh. We, we won't spend eternity apart from our flesh. And, and so when we start thinking about heaven and these kinds of things, what happens is that the concept becomes so foreign to us 
that we begin to just kind of push it away and we're like, I don't even want to talk about that. But I'm going to just tell you that I believe that heaven is going to be a lot more human than you think it is. That it's, it's going to be, undoubtedly, we are going to have the upgraded version of our bodies and it's going to be great and all of that, but it's going to be the senses. It's going to be relational. We're going to talk about this stuff, but, but it's important how we view this because kind of if you think about this, if we were kind of salesmen, imagine being a salesman that has really no clue or no affinity towards the product that they're trying to sell. Really themselves, they don't want to use it. <laughs> they just want to kind of get everybody else to use it. And so, so it's important how we see this. You see, our bodies were actually supposed to last as long as our soul. But then there was a fall. And so there's a, there's, there's a disconnect and there's a thing that is being fixed. But ultimately, the ultimate hope for a Christian is the resurrection of the body. Clicking. Listen to this from Job 19. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh, I shall see God. Now, I think that that's a, such a profound statement. The book of Job is arguably the oldest book within the Bible. Many scholars say that this, it's the oldest book. It doesn't deal with maybe the oldest material. Genesis is going to deal with the creation and those kinds of things. But Job is pre-Israel. The main focus of the book of Genesis becomes the formation of the Jewish people. And Job is pre-Jewish people. So, but yet here he makes this proclamation, this proclamation of the resurrection, of a bodily resurrection, that even though that I know that my Redeemer, A, one thing is going to stand upon this earth. Jesus is going to walk the earth. And that even though my flesh, I'm going to die, and my flesh is going to decay, still yet, in my flesh, I'm going to see him face to face. What an amazing statement. Um, and, and what a statement that is thousands and thousands of years old. Job 34 goes on to say, if he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together, and man would return to dust. And so, so this idea that if God pulled from us right now our spirit that he's put into us, um, that we would just fall back into the dust that we were created for, from. But again, this idea is that this dust that we were created from is exactly how we were created to be. Clicking. 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, Paul says this, verse 17 through 19, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And what, what is Paul saying? What he's saying is this, is that the resurrection is the absolute core foundational thing that is the hope of all believers. And if it's not true that we will be resurrected bodily on this earth, then we above all people are should be pitied beyond anybody else. Why? Because of the way that we're called to live our lives, right? Because we're called to live our lives, not in view of the world that we're living in today, but in the view of the heaven 
in which is our real destination. We're to understand that the reality of our life is that we're passing by, is that we're sojourners on this journey, that we're kind of passing through this world as it is now, but our hope isn't in this. You see, and I, and I, I can tell you that I think for a world out there that has put its hope in the world itself, that has no hope beyond what, what, what is the here and now, they're living in incredible anxiety right now. They're living in incredible struggle with their mental health and different things like that. You see, it's this picture and it's this thing that says that this is that I can have joy and I can be okay in this world because this world is not my hope or my home. I have a greater thing that I'm looking for. And I can promise you this, and from personal experience, when real tragedy hits your life and when real loss hits your life and the rubber hits the road and you start to recognize the reality of this stuff, you're going to want to hope that transcends this world. And if you're not, if there's none, you'll be crushed. See, because if this world is all that there is, then we, above all people, should be pitied. So as we start to talk about this and how does this play out, click, <coughs> what we do matters. It matters what we do here. Why? Because it has eternal ramifications. What we do or what we don't do here is gonna be, we're either gonna be as believers rewarded or gonna, we're gonna miss reward. Let's look at that. Click. Revelation 14, 13, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, Blessed are the dead among the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether it be good or evil. First Corinthians 3, 11 through 14, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, or hay or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And so, so let's just get this straight real quick. Um, we're, we're not working to appease God. That, that's not the goal. The, 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 the goal is that, is that because of what God has done in our lives, because of who he is, because of the impact that he's had, because we've had, a, 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 we've had an encounter with the creator of the universe, he's left us changed, he's recreated, he's made us a new creation, then the focus of our lives begins to shift and how we live our life and why we live our life and why we do what we do begins to change. It's an internal motivation, not an external motivation. We're not trying to appease God. He's appeased if you're in Christ. So the idea of this isn't that we're working to try to, um, to earn favor. If you're in Christ, you have his favor. But because we're in Christ, because we understand, because we've been given this message, because the keys of the kingdom have been handed over to the church, it's this reason that we begin to do the work that God has portioned the work that he's worked out for us to do. And it's him doing it, but, but we have to kind of agree into this. And, and now that's this picture of what happens to the believer when they go before the Lord. And it's called the Bema Seat Judgment. And, and judgment isn't even a good word, honestly. It's the Bema Seat Judgment of Christ. or the. And what this is, is this isn't about 
whether you um, are judged on any bad things, there's no judgment for the believer on any of our sin. It's, It's not even an issue. The only thing that is issue is whether we will receive a reward or if that reward will be lost to us. It's simply that. This word was taken from Isthmian games where the contestants would compete for the prize under the careful scrutiny of judges who would make sure that every rule of the contest was obeyed. The victor of a given event who participated according to the rules was led by the judge to the platform called the bema. There, the laurel wreath was placed on his head as a symbol of victory. In all of the passages that Paul deals with with this, he was picturing the believer as a competitor in a spiritual contest. As victorious Grecian athletes appeared before the bema to receive his perishable award, so the Christian will appear before Christ's bema to receive his imperishable reward. Uh, The judge at the bema bestows rewards to the victors. He did not whip the losers. We might add, neither did he sentence them to hard labor. It's simply this thing that we have opportunity before us and this reality that what we're doing in this world is going to transcend this world and it's going to reach into eternity. And so because of that, it's pretty imperative. See, Jesus told a parable about this, right? And it was the parable of the talents. And just go over it quick. Remember, we have, we have one guy is given five talents, another person is given two, and another person is given one, right? The, the master goes away. When he returns, he comes up and he says, okay, you know, let's settle these accounts. What, what have you got? And the one that fought, had five says, hey, you gave me five and I got five more. And the master says, great, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, you've been faithful with a little, you'll be given more. The one with two, same thing. You gave me two, I earned two more. Ah, well done. Good and faithful servant. You see, it had nothing to do with the amount of work. It had to do with what was apportioned to the servants. One got five, this next one got two, but this one that had two got exactly the same response from the master. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in the little things, you'll be given more. This tries paraphrase, by the way. The one who had one, was given one, went and hid it, buried it, went and just went like, oh, I'm just going to make sure that I'm okay. Just had a a real attitude of self-preservation. I'm just going to make sure that I'm okay. I'm not going to take any chances. I'm not going to do anything with this. I'm just going to preserve this. I'm going to dig it. I'm going to bury it in a hole where nobody can get it. Nobody can steal it from me. Nobody's going to know where it's at. And I'm just giving it back to him so that I'm okay. And that was an offense to this master, right? The master came back and he said, you wicked servant. You know, how come you didn't at least just even put it in the bank account where it could have drawn interest, you know? And, 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 and And it says that his reward was given the one that had five. It's an interesting thing. He had every opportunity to get exactly the same response from the master. He didn't have to make five. He didn't even have to make two. He's had to take what was given to him and produce something with it. He had to steward it is what he had to do. He had to be a steward of what was given before him. And so we see that this attitude, an attitude of absolute just self-preservation, I'm just looking out for number one, it's just not a favorable one to God. 
Click. First Corinthians 3.8, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Revelation 2.26, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. You see, our work is going to go on. What we do, you know, even the return of Christ isn't the final end game. It's not where it ends. When Jesus returns, and he returns with the dead in Christ, right, and then there's, the, the, there's the, the theology and the idea of the, of the rapture that those who are still on the earth who haven't, who haven't yet died will, will be caught up into heaven and, and all of that comes back and Jesus sets up a, a, a thousand year, a millennial reign on the earth, right? But it's not until the end of that reign that all things are brought back into the perfect restorative place. It's, it's a place though that we will rule and we will reign in that, we'll have jobs, We'll have jobs in heaven. Work is good, and work was meant to be satisfying. I want to point out one thing, clicking. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. And this is Paul saying this. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's where Popeye got that. You guys know that, right? I am what I am, right? It's biblical. Popeye read the Bible, obviously. Some of you don't even know who Popeye is. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. See, again, it's, this, it's, it's not this picture that Paul was out there doing it on his own strength and his own ability. What Paul was was a man who was sold out to Christ and sold out to what was in front of him on a daily basis and fulfilling the ministry that was in front of him by God's strength and by his power. Click. We're going to have work to do. We're going to have work to do. That, that work is something that is good. Click. Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So before the fall, prior to the fall, we worked. Work was part of our deal. Work was meant to be fulfilling. We are created to work, to be tenders of, of what God has done to keep what, what God has put together. And you see, this whole picture is this picture of Eden and then the fall, right, and the brokenness of this world. And then ultimately, on the other end of the Bible, we see the restoration of Eden. And there's a cross in the middle. And this is basically our biblical timeline, right, is this idea that, that God is actually going to restore and redeem what he started back here, what got broken, what got messed up. The fall, and, 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 and one day, we are going to live in redeemed bodies, standing on a redeemed earth, living in a redeemed universe, and, and it's, it's going to be amazing. John 4.34, Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 5.17, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. See, work is a good thing. Jesus was at work. Click. Isaiah 65, 21 to 23 says, they shall build houses. Now, this is about the, the new heaven and the new earth that, that's, that's given in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 65, and then it goes on to say, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. 
for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. And, and so it's, it's saying that our, our work, because of the fall, our work tends to be frustrating and daunting and different things like that. But when it's restored and everything is put in its rightful place, that work itself will be incredibly satisfying and gratifying to us. It'll be kind of like the work that you do as you work on a hobby or something, you know? You're working, but man, you're loving it. You're just enjoying it. All of our work will look like that. Quick. We'll reign. We're going to reign with Christ. We're going to have some sort of authority, and I can't explain all of this stuff to you, but I want us to start to get these concepts. 2 Timothy 2.12, click, says, if we endure, he will also reign, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Revelation 5.10, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Revelation 26, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Click. We will recognize each other. We're going to have relationships, and the relationships that we have are going to go on. And we're even going to have new relationships, and we're going to have all eternity to develop the relationships that we have with one another, and also the ones that we did with, with believers and people that we don't even know yet. It's going to be amazing. One day this is all going to begin. I think I've, I've kind of, I heard this sermon one time and it was so impactful to me. And it was like this, it was this picture of the wedding supper of the lamb, right? And, and this guy, I can't remember who did, I wish I could give him credit, but I can't remember who did this sermon. But he, he began to paint this picture of the wedding supper of the lamb and said, you know, one day we're all going to gather like this and it's going to be this huge banquet room. And it's going to be amazing. And there's just going to be more people than you can imagine that are going to be there. And imagine yourself sitting down and you find your place and you get seated and you're, you're sitting there and you're visiting and you're, you're talking and oh my gosh, you can see over there's Paul and here's Abraham and all of these different people and it's just, you, everybody's talking, there's just a buzz going on, you know, and, you, and, you, and you're sitting down and you look over next to you and there's this little 10-year-old girl and you're like, oh, hi, hi, little girl, you know, how are you, you know, and you start talking and visiting, you start sharing with her, you know, like what life looked like for you, and she starts sharing with you about what her life was like, and you, and you say, well, what did you do, and how did your life go, and she says, oh, you know, we lived, we lived, my family lived under Nero in Rome, and, and, and one day, man, we were Christians, we'd become Christians, my dad became a Christian, and our whole family became a Christian, and we, uh, we, were, we were sitting, in, and uh, one day we were sitting at, at, at supper, and these, these soldiers showed up, and they drug my dad out in the street, and they began to whip him and beat him and, and kick him. And, and, and then they, they took the whole family, and they, they told us that if we would just denounce Christ right there, that we could just go our way. But we didn't do it, and we, 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 wouldn't, we wouldn't just... We weren't going to do that. And so they took us, and they took us to prison, the whole family. And we went down into the catacombs, and we, and we were so scared. And it was so awful, and it was so dark. And, and we would sing sometimes, and we would pray all the time. And one day, they put us on this elevator thing, and, and, and it rose up. And we went into the middle of the Colosseum, and, and, and all there were just thousands of people that were yelling about killing us and seeing us die and turn the lions loose and all of this stuff. And we, we got up there, and, and, and it's getting intense, isn't it? And, and all of a sudden, they turned these lions loose, and, and they came, and we were just praying and holding each other, and, and then we died right there. And then he's like, so what's your story going to be? <laughs> what are you going to tell that little girl? What are you going to have to talk about that day? 
well, I, I, I had a pretty good 401k. I went to church every Sunday. No, there's so much more. And, and it's, it's, it's an amazing thing that God has set this thing in place that is going to extend, that's going to transcend, that's going to move into eternity. And we have the great privilege to join him in this. We'll recognize one another. We'll get it. We'll know each other. Matthew 17 um, shows that Moses and Elijah were there and, and Peter said to Jesus, hey, it's, it's good that, that we're here. I'll make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. The point there is that it, it, it seemed that he could recognize, and even though maybe he had never met them before, he knew that it was Moses and Elijah. Um, we also see that Jesus was recognized, although he also seemed to have the ability to make himself not recognizable or kind of veil himself a little bit at times. But he was recognized by, um, by his disciples as well. We see in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus that, that there's recognition of one another there. So we'll know each other. These relationships that we're building now in the church are going to keep going. And we're going to have forever to get deeper in all of this. We'll have a big feast, click. We just talked about the wedding supper of the lamb. Communion, when we take communion. Oh, I think I jumped ahead a little bit there, sorry. Did I jump? Oh, yeah, okay. It's gonna be better than you think. I want you to know that. I, I, it says this about it, what, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. It's beyond our ability to even comprehend, we, but we kind of start to get some, a little bit of foothold, and we start to recognize that these things are going to be so great. Click. Joy is going to eclipse pain. The struggle, the difficulties, the brokenness of this world, the joy that we experience that day is going to eclipse the, any pain that we've ever experienced here. I'm a firm believer there's going to be tears in heaven. Bible says that every tear is going to be removed in the book of Revelation, but that's every tear, I think, that's associated with sin and with death and with, with, with the brokenness of this world. But I know that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have tears of joy when I see my daughter again. We're going to have tears of joy when we're, when we're reconciled back to those relationships, when we see those people that we've been longing and we've been missing and God is going to restore all of this. Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Click. It's part of our inheritance. Our greatest inheritance is God, and we're His. Somehow that works out that He desires to have us as His inheritance. But, but, but He's our inheritance. But, but also, too, this redeemed world. Matthew 25, 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Click. It's a new heaven and a new earth. When we get to Revelation 22, after the thousand-year millennial kingdom is wrapped up, after Satan is, is, is bound after the books are open 
and, and, and Satan, I'm sorry, is thrown into the lake of fire and, and the books are opened and the, and the dead are judged, that it says that, that, that there's a new earth and a new Jerusalem, that, that God is going to recreate all of this stuff. And we're going to talk about it later, what that's going to look like, whether it's an annihilation and a recreation of things. I, I kind of lean more towards that this is going to be a fire of purification that's going to wipe away what's, what's wrong, and it's going to leave what is right and what was always right. You see, because part of this is the victory that God is going to stand, and he's going to say, no, Satan, you didn't have victory back there. You didn't have victory over these people. You didn't have victory in this time. That Jesus is going to stand on this earth, and we are going to stand with him, and we are going to proclaim victory in these bodies that are redeemed, that are apart from sin. And we're going to do that on a new earth, not a non-earth, not a diff- uh, on a new earth. And then the picture is that heaven is going to descend as this great city, New Jerusalem, and it's going to come down to earth. And the Bible says that God's dwelling place will be with men. You see, sometimes the concept of heaven is so foreign to us, and we don't really desire it because it's beyond when the way we begin to think about it is beyond our capacity to think about it. Sometimes we think like, well, man, I really love some things about the earth. I really love the mountains. I really love the ocean. I really love... Chances doing this, fishing. That's because those things are part of what we were made to be and to experience. The earth was made for us. It's always meant to be our home. It's, it's never meant to be somewhere else. It's, this is our home, and ultimately, this is where we will live. And I can't explain everything about that to you, but I hope that today you, you, you start to, to get a little bit better grasp of this idea of like, what, what's it going to be like? And what do we have to look forward to? Because ultimately, the Bible tells us this. It says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also, right? Jesus tells us this. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we really need to be a people. If we're going to be a people who are going out and doing this great commission, we got to believe in our product, right? We've got to say, we have something that is going to be so incredible, that is so amazing. You don't want to miss this. You don't want to not be a part of this. I want to be so much a part of this that I want to tell everybody about it. That's why we can't put our treasure here on earth, because this, all this system is going to be redone. Jesus is making all things new. And when he does that, he's, he's already working at that. He's already doing that. And, and that's the, the picture of the believer is that we're a new creation. We're not one that's been obliterated and recreated. We've just been made new. We've been redone from the inside out by the Holy Spirit. And that we're now in process of a work that ultimately God is going to finish one day. But you know what? You are never going to quit growing spiritually. You're not. I'm not. We're never going to come to a full understanding of an infinite God. You see, our intellectual capacities, all of these things, all of the things that we were made to be and have are going to continue on because they're good, because it's the way that God intended it. So, Lord, we just ask that you would help us as we just 
look to the future as we think about heaven, as we think about eternity, help us to have a right perspective. And we know that we can't understand all of it. We know that it's beyond our capacity to truly understand, but we want to just know its goodness, Lord. We want to know what it's going to be like. We don't want to be led around by, by misconceptions or any of those things. So help us to grow deeper in our understanding of heaven. Help us to know that it's, it's absolutely the most beautiful, the most amazing destination that we could ever have on our on our uh, agenda. And, and help us, Lord, to be so sold out for it, Lord, that we want to be a people who make sure that everyone has the possibility to, to go there as well. So, Lord, we thank you that you've made a way that all can come, that, that there's nobody who's outside of this plan, that there's nobody who's went too far. And if there's anybody in here today who's never said yes to you, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would just put it on their spirit and on their heart to respond to the gospel, to respond to the reality of your work on the cross, that you came and you intersected time, space, and history, that you sat in the middle of your redemptive plan and you died on the cross to pay the penalty for their sin. And, and, and Lord, you tell us that if we believe on that and we believe that you were resurrected after three days and that we profess your name, that you, you tell us that we will be saved. You say that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So, Lord, I'm just asking that anybody who's never called on your name, whose, whose destination prior to today wasn't heaven, would call on you and that they would have a new destination. And so, Lord, we're just grateful for all that you're at work doing. We pray that you would take us deeper as a church body, as a community. Lord, help us to love well in the community you've placed us in. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.